In tech, like virtually every other business, for better or for worse, there's just names you know. Whether it's green aliens, for sometimes equal squares, or a certain fruit-shaped sticker on your friend's rear window. These brands are the result of billions of dollars of marketing, strategy, and raw impressions. But what about some brands behind those brands? Chances are some of you, like us, can probably list the designer of every component in the custom PC chassis sitting on your desk. For everyone else though, their iPhone really was designed by Apple and Cupertino, without a thought about the architecture of that A15 chip and the UK-based firm that makes it possible. Yep, we're here to ask the question this week, what is next for ARM? Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Solid State Podcast. I'm your host, John Joyce. I'm Eric Sargent. And I'm Cody Toscano. And we are here to ask the question this week, what's next for ARM? And no, we're not talking about appendages or anything <laughs> like that. Uh, uh, we are, no, not even a little bit. We are still firmly in the tech space this time, um, talking about ARM, the company specifically, which you know, you've heard us talk about ARM conceptually on the show before as it relates to uh you know, things like Samsung Galaxy phones at the processor level, or even you've heard us talk about ARM architecture and how that relates to Apple's M series of chips, mm-hmm. or you've heard me potentially cringe through the microphone talking about <laughs> Windows running on ARM mm. or all sorts of other uh, yeah. expressions of the ARM-based architecture in that technology. So um, what we're really here to talk about is functionally ARM as a company more than the platform itself or even the architecture, because there's been a lot of activity around ARM just in the last few months having to do with a false start of an acquisition and a future, you know, potential move there. So the, this almost became a dot, 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 a history show, but we realized we didn't want to spend the whole time talking just about ARM of the past. Cause really the focus is on the ARM of the future and what that's going to look like. Cause circling back to what that, not just them as a company, but what they own the IP to and what that means to all the ARM licensees out there. Cause all these companies license that, that architecture, that platform, Apple is a direct ARM customer. You know, Apple Silicon is based on that. As I mentioned, yeah, every you know, time you buy an Apple, they get it, they get a chunk of change because they yeah. had to license that CPU in there from them. Right. right? Yeah. Microsoft produces chips on the ARM architecture. Um, Google is is actively producing chips on the ARM architecture. So their their IP holdings, their intellectual property holdings are dramatic. But then as a company, there was, you know, we, we all realize we live in a very aggressive mergers and acquisitions environment, especially in the technology space. Oh, yeah. Huge companies gobbling up other huge companies or massive amounts of smaller companies. I mean, it's the mass consolidation that's going on um, has a lot of people raising an eyebrow about what that means for some of these market yeah. segments. Um, you know, quick, you know, left-hand turn. Think about thinking about, you know, Microsoft and the tear that they're on buying up game studios under the Xbox division. And um, which is getting these companies into something of an arms race with Sony now running out and trying to do the same to stay Pun in parity. <laughs> that's oh, that Pun never intended on this show, but somehow yeah. we, we, pull we it do off. it all the time. Yeah, we do it all the time. Um, and so that, that that arms race there between Microsoft and Sony, this is one example. It's happening across the broader technology industry. Um, we've touched briefly before about how though that mass consolidation now is raising eyebrows in Washington and what that means for com- the competition in the space and, you know, uh, just antitrust, all those implications, but coming full circle back to arm the company, um, the most recent 
developments that we want to talk about here on the show was it was announced, I think it was in last year in 2021, mm -hmm. that NVIDIA, who you've also heard us talk about at, at length, uh, mostly in the space around graphics cards. You know, like when we talked about the uh, building mm -hmm. a PC episode and the NVIDIA RTX 3080 and the newly announced 3090 Ti and how very, very difficult to get a lot of these products are because of the chip shortage and everything else. Well, NVIDIA sitting on their, let's call it what it is, pile of cash, yep. mm -hmm. uh, went to market and was looking to buy ARM. Um, ARM was in a position, so ARM presently is owned by SoftBank and they were looking to, you know, sell the asset. And I mean, it wasn't, and, it wasn't, I'm sorry to interrupt, but it wasn't just oh, yeah. a looking to buy. Like they, they were, they had contact contracts drawn yes. up and everything. Like they were, yes. they had signed, they were ready to buy and they just needed the approval for the merger, I think, right. Yes. From the, the, the deal was, the, the deal was, a, so yeah, it was under a, a, a SEC review and everything, uh, uh, everything, you know, to all those moving parts. And yeah, you are right, Eric. It was it was more than just a this is what we want to do. Um, it was it was set and going to happen. I mean, that deal that Nvidia came to the table with was it was a forty billion dollar bid. Jeez, um, to to pick up on forty billion. Not exactly small potatoes there. Yeah. No, I mean crazy to think not the biggest deal to date. I mean there are just some I think again going back to massive game studio acquisitions. I think about Blizzard and Activision and Bethesda and yeah. all those. Th but still, not a small. We're talking forty billion with a B dollars. Um, that's huge. But then here's the crazy part: that deal falls through, and as I say, both parties backed away for any number of reasons. The, one of the net results was um, SoftBank, again, who owns the Japanese company SoftBank that owns ARM currently, a British company, by the way. So the international politics of this is fascinating. Hmm. Um, they retain a 1.25 billion, still with a B, dollar um, breakup fee because the deal was signed. Like they yep. all parties agreed in principle oh. to the deal. And the way those work, if it's if it doesn't happen, because the minute it has to do with a lot of with valuations and whatnot, the minute that SoftBank announces that they're selling ARM, the value of ARM has now changed and SoftBank has changed dramatically because yep. uh, SoftBank is selling an asset that is ARM. ARM is obviously must be in a position where they need to be sold, which can affect, you know, all sorts of things around their value. So the fact that this false start took place, SoftBank retains ARM and get and uh, for the moment at least, and gets one and a quarter billion dollars for their trouble. Then Nvidia is now out those dollars, which I mean that's not yeah. yeah I mean it's not, not it's not forty, but it certainly isn't a small amount of money either. Yes. So <laughs> what's interesting is uh, also as part of the Nvidia is going to be holding onto a twenty year license that they pick up from arm um, that so the ability to use those uh, use the arm architecture in their products for 20 years. We're going to get into some of the products that they're talking about doing even post this deal. Um, but the, the question about what's next for arm before we circle fully back to NVIDIA um, arm is looking to go IPO now. So on the, on the, mm. on the day they oh. announced that this deal fell through, whatever you want to broken up, whatever you want to call it um, the CEO steps down. Um, a new CEO is named taking office immediately. Very, very uncommon for there to be a quick change like that. Normally it's a, there's a cool down transitionary period. It was effective that day. The CEO was stepping down. Um, the incoming CEO made reference to, um, the predecessor not wanting to 
embark on, and I do understand that going navigating the IPO process is for a CEO and for leadership like that, a huge undertaking. Um, so especially if you're getting to a certain point in your career, not wanting to go down that road, I, I can very much respect and understand taking that tack, but still my gut says there's still, as always stuff that was left on the page because yeah, that we don't know. Yeah. There's just, there's, there's something to be had there. Um, so IPO is going to be going out. Um, they're looking to get that going by the end of their current fiscal year, which will end Mar- this time next year, March 31, 2023. And that would effectively get arm out on its own two feet as its own publicly traded entity moving forward out from under SoftBank. Um, the one last note though, that I'll make about the incoming CEO, um, an existing arm employee, but previously a high ranking employee at NVIDIA. Huh? Hmm. So, it's funny how that works, huh? Yeah. Isn't, isn't it funny how that works? And, uh, you know, so they weren't able to arrive at an acquisition, but our arm will now become, standalone on its own two feet, publicly traded and with run by a former high ranking NVIDIA person at its helm. Um, take that for what you will, not the part of this we're here to talk about. I wonder today, who's going to buy the most the, shares in their IPO. Hmm. Uh, it's, it's, it's crazy. Or, or just, you know, those sweet, sweet licensing deals that uh, will extend for decades and decades to come. Uh, I just think that's that level of the intrigue is all very, very interesting. Um, yeah, it feels like not too long ago we were like arm. We're not gonna. Right. I'm not gonna use something with arm in it. <laughs> right. And, and you're right. And and even today, I going back to what we were talking about the earlier part of the episode. I think it's fascinating how many people are walking around with an arm-based device today that have no idea. Mm-hmm. If you think about the legions of Android phones or iPhones. A, a, yeah, I was going to say long before even the M. We talked about the M series, but the A series chip that predates it is in arm-based piece of silicon because again we've talked in previous episodes m m series chips are reworked a series chips and a Mm -hmm. the whole line is based on the arm architecture so um their their value through ip and licensing deals can be dramatic if they navigate that side of the business properly um it's it's hugely important to the going back to one of our show's tentpole ideals that competition and having players in the space is good for everyone in the space. But I will also double down on that here and say with arm touching so many levels of the tech and the gear that we use and utilize every day, a strong and stable arm is good for the entire industry. Very Mm -hmm. much so. Yeah. Um, They need to be able to ship those chips or everybody's out. I mean, sure. Or, or just continue to, you know, build forward on the design and continue to innovate and evolve. And, you know, okay, the, obviously Apple is doing their riff on these things and Google is doing their riff on them. But the, 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 the base, the, the foundational technology being that arm reference design that continuing to be at the forefront and driving forward. Um, that's a good thing because it's also going to attract other people, hopefully to want to enter that space and compete with them because mm-hmm. you're right, Cody, there was a point where people were like, what the heck is arm? And many still are, but cause you know, it's you know, your like HP tablet. Didn't or, that thing have arm the very first one you had? Oh my gosh. My HP touchpad. Let's yeah. The touchpad. RIP. I'm even going to stay away from that rabbit hole. We'll do, we'll do a, you know, HP consumer electronics, a history. Some yeah, we'll history, talk yeah, about that, yeah. that, uh, <laughs> that, that fumbled launch, the, the iPad competitor that really never was. Um, anyway, 
RIP WebOS. Um, rip. Rip. <laughs> so, wow, I'm completely off now. So we'll, we'll come back to ARM. No, you're fine. What do you do? Um, ARM as a whole, and now segueing back into NVIDIA, because especially with this deal having been right on the precipice, um, it's almost impossible to separate the two at this point, because we now, when we talk about what's next for ARM, now arm the architecture, not even so much arm the company. We look at some of N- NVIDIA's recent announcements, even post the announcement of the breakup of the deal. Um, Eric, you were telling me a little bit before the show about yeah. they've got some chips. You know, They're we calling it about, a super chip. Right. And, yeah. and you're going to hear some stuff that makes it sound a lot like our M1 episode, for example, and talking about those platforms. But whereas M1 and the M series chips are designed for either computers that are in your bag or, you know, a production computer that still sits on your desk, this is going to a data center. It sounds like. Yeah. I, I very much feel like this is the chip that they're developing to kind of be the answer to the other episode that we talked about with the singularity, which was that cloud-based AI. I think this Mm -hmm. is kind of the chip that they're angling to To be that because they're talking about it's, it looks, if you look at a picture of this chip, the the article that I am reading is actually from Tom's hardware. It was a Tom's Um, hardware article, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, And it's, it looks, the, the picture of the chip looks very much like what you see from the M1 pictures from Apple. It's the ultra. Yeah. yeah, The M1 ultra. Yeah. 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 Two chips side by side that are communicating over some sort of a proprietary bus. So they act like a single chip and then it's surrounded by memory that is wired directly into the CPU. So it has faster access for both the CPU and the GPU. It's essentially the same kind of architectural design as the M1 chip. But there's they kind of beefed up the cores. Each chip is a is a 72 core chip. So they have two 72-core chips together to make 144-core Grace, they're calling it the Grace CPU Super Chip. Um, 900 gigabyte a second connection as well. Yeah, exactly. That's crazy. You know, DDR5, um, all that kind of stuff, just a crazy bandwidth between everything. Uh, PCIe 5.0, you know, going to directly integrate with um, NVIDIA's GPUs and tie them all in together and all that throughput back and forth between it all. I mean, they're, they're looking to do some pretty intense processing. I'm guessing this is like, these are supercomputer chips is essentially what it is. They're going to, yeah. What are they saying? Like AI factories, robotics, stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. And, and I'm sure they're going to be doing machine learning, all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, bring it full circle again back to things like planet scale AI. Exactly. Seeing episode yep. one. So that when we do talk about global platforms and the ways that this is the technology that's going to be needed to empower something like that. Yep. I mean, we're talking raw horsepower. This is this is this is all about computational you know power and the ability to actually crunch the numbers and do the thing. Obviously, this sets us down the road towards, well, okay quantum computing, all those other things that are, we're getting, we're inching ever closer to, but we're not there yet. But this is taking Helps bridge the gap. more traditional where we are today, platforms of technology and turning it up to 11 mm-hmm. and, and in a really, really tangible way. Uh, especially as I look more at how this is set up to scale um, with, you know, up to eight of these hopper GPU platforms and the incredible rendering of, you know, of data throughput and, I don't know. There's, there seems to be a lot here on the CTC and CX seven platform that if you start to start talking about then data center scale applications of this, because go back to when we talk about things like the, the, the Apple studio 
uh, running an M1 Ultra. And you know, so that's two M1 chips effectively. And that's incredible, but that's still like you got one sitting on your desk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Someone out there is going to build an M1 I was going to build a studio farm. I can, I can oh, see I'm it. Oh, sure they will. Yep. I remember when people used to rack mount, they had those, uh, the one U rack mounts where you could put either four or eight Mac minis and people mm-hmm. would do the Mac mini uh, rack builds. Someone's going to do that, but that's not what this is purpose built. This is when you think about a data center scale, this kind of computational power, the density this would be capable of when you, when you bring that connective tissue all the way back to our previous conversations about things like the singularity and whatnot, this is incredible amounts of compute. I mean, we get tempted to use words like limitless and endless and without that's not the <laughs> yeah, case. Right. Every time we have a big leap forward, we think we'll never use all of this. I remember my first one gigabyte hard drive, like how, now, how will I, I ever it? use all that? Yes. Um, this 64 is not kilobytes of Ram. <laughs> never use that. Nano, that thing was killing. Yeah, that's was. right. 250 um, songs all day, man. Ooh. But also don't want to undersell what this could potentially mean if they deliver at what this is meant to be. And I think 2023 is what they're targeting for yeah, this for to the release. actually be out yep. uh, for first half of 2023. So we're about a year out. So a lot of this can change. Um, and again, a competitor may roll up and say, well, ha ha ha, you did this, come look at ours. And that's great. But yeah. when we start talking about a company like NVIDIA weighing in on the CPU space where they've traditionally been so heavily into GPUs, um, what I, and going the ever present threat of where my expertise falls off pretty quickly is when I also think of NVIDIA, I think about what's going on in the blockchain and crypto mining and all of that. And yeah, I also this would don't be huge fully, for that. I, I assume, I don't know. Like I don't, I don't, I think I, they I could use it. GPU and is, I know, well, I know that there are um, arm based builds for a lot of those crypto mining softwares mm-hmm. that go out there. So, I mean, a lot of them, leverage gpu now but when you figure you put all of this in a in a rack mount system you know you can probably stick 10 of these things in a rack mount and you got a th- like what a thousand cores at that point 1400 cores at that point of that and then it directly will link into some you know pcie thing with 20 30 80s in there and you just run crypto against on you know, both types crypto that mines yeah, off a CPU point. crypto that mines off a GPU. Yep. I mean, the power consumption would probably be ridiculous, but I don't or think the they're really worried about Yeah, exactly. Yeah. See all the above. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. No, I mean, over time, I'm sure it'll get more efficient as well. You know, well, as these things always do. And then if right. it does, it come, it, circles back and these kind of advancements do filter down to the consumer level in a lot of real ways. Again, this chip is not designed to show up in your next laptop. That that's mm-hmm. just not, right. or even your high performance desktop. That's not what this is yet. I mean, in a way it is because the similarities to your point, Eric, you can't ignore an M1 ultra, which is designed for a desktop right. and Apple continues to um, zero in on the range of the consumer up into the professional level. But now this taking that, idea and applying it super scale up to the data center level and then where those two collide um the the comp going back to the point of this episode the common thread between all of those things is the architecture of the processors they're building which is arm so yeah and it it just makes me wonder about the course because like when you're looking at the ultra that we're talking about you know in comparison to this the highest end ultra is a is 20 cpu cores and 64 GPU cores, I think. And this is talking about 144 CPU cores. 
So that's wow. that's quite quite a yeah, difference geez. in the amount of CPU cores, and that's and that's one chip, you know, one double right. chip, you mm-hmm. know. But it's it's yep. one one what essentially would be an ultra, one ultra at ultra. twenty cores. They're putting their super chip in at 144 cores. And I don't know how that translates if they sure. have the same throughput as, as the other one, but I'm sure, you know, it's still, it's a lot of cores you can dedicate those cores to a lot of different tasks when you've got yeah, the right well, software infrastructure for that. TV, exactly. Yep. You know, all that, there's again, different applications designed for a different environment. Um, but to that point, so we, we, if we think about this as like the true upper end of the scale, and then we get into more, you know, professional, but still desktop computing, things like the M1 ultra. Mm-hmm. Then you get into your true consumer into, you know, work level scale, like a more, or just a regular M1 or uh, Microsoft's forays into Windows, you know, Windows for ARM, which is a bit of a butt of a joke. They will get there, but it's definitely. <laughs> yeah, it's taking them time. They're not focused on it. They're so focused on the x86 type stuff that they haven't really right. put any money into it yet. Were they putting ARM in those in the surfaces originally? The Surface Pro X. We yeah. don't need to talk about it. I want it to be better. It's not. Yeah, it's yeah. not great. I want it to be good so bad, but every They're time trying. I pick one up, though they tried all right. Um, we'll do a whole episode on that sometime. Um, then, then transitioning then all the way into like truly personal handheld devices like smartphones and tablets and all. I mean, if you Watches, really yeah. think about the thread of arm all the way through those categories now like all of them that's impressive that's really really like i don't feel there was ever an equivalent moment in x86 for example because i mean sure from the laptop to the desktop to then servers and data centers but at the other end of that scale like i'm okay not that there never were none of us fondly remember any kind of intel or x86 based attempts at smartphones or tablets or you know like well i mean when you think about it at its work at its Um, absolute heyday you know yeah you had one maybe two pcs per household you know a laptop and a desktop for a lot of people growing up was pretty typical probably the average at that time sure you know and those are you know so two x86 chips per household now you're thinking you know every single person in the house has a smartphone there's at yep. least one tablet, if not more, in the house. Maybe multiple. You know, you got you got your watch on your wrist. You've got now I've got, you know, a MacBook in front of me here that's got an M1 chip in it. I mean, the I'm sheer sure TVs will use ARM. Yep. The the sheer amount of ARM silicon that's in every single household now is staggering yep. compared to what you have for x86. I mean, I've got I have two x86 chips in my house right now. My desktop right. down here and my gaming desktop upstairs. That's it. And everything everything else is ARM through the whole house. Mm-hmm. So probably eight, yeah, 10 yeah, ARM yeah, chips yeah. that I've got in the house. Yeah. Without Xbox even realizing right. it, it's just kind of happened. Oh, I guess that's right. The Xbox has an X86 chip, doesn't it? Only yes. because you're not Series X yet. Cause I'm pretty sure Series X actually moved away from X86, believe it or not. Did but, it? Okay. <laughs> that's funny. But your Xbox one, zuh, yes. Have X86. But, okay. But even so, like that's, <laughs> yeah, that's it. Right. Yeah. Comparatively speaking. Um, so yeah, it's just, I think ARM is kind of going back to it's that sometimes silent, not always silent thread through so much of the technology that doesn't also necessarily always get the, and I think they're okay with it, by the way, in a lot of places, doesn't always get the the outward looking at, like no one picks up that iPhone and says, oh, powered by an ARM chip. No, it says powered by an A15 Bionic Super D Duper, right. you know, mm-hmm. buzzword extravaganza. Yep. Yes. Yeah. My God. 
remember remember when that was like the one thing that Apple did differently than everyone else? <laughs> right. Like, we're going to name our products using like two words. And now it's like at some point that that idea went right out no the more. window. But I digress. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I just, I think that is one of the most fascinating takeaways about ARM in general is how it's just, it's just there. And in a lot of cases it's there and no one knows it. And it could put them in a very powerful position. Obviously there's been problems because they're in a position where SoftBank is trying to sell them or is now spinning them off towards an IPO. And I, yeah. I, I just, I just wish I could see the, I wish I could see the inside baseball on that. Is it that they do need to sell it or is it that they're like, man, we could get a lot of money for this right now's now. Let's just time. do it. Now's the time to sell. You know, I just, it sure. may not be a, the company's in a downward spiral kind of thing, but I, you just don't <laughs> so know. You're saying SoftBank yeah. is in there like, so, so this is the house flipping market at yeah. like the forty billion dollar scale. It's right. like you know, now's our chance to get our money back out of this. Or, thing. or so they're or they're time. thinking like, COVID's not going to go away. The supply chain issues aren't going to go away. We might be on the cusp of not being able to deliver all of this silicon that we need to. So let's get right. out right now while we can get money before this becomes a real problem. And you know, but again, I'm right. guessing because we really have no idea what's going on in there. So, yeah. So is that our answer? What's next for ARM? We have no idea. We have no idea. (laughs) World. I I think the end all be all answer to what's next for ARM to answer that question to the point of this whole thing is you have to look at a hundred other companies' roadmaps. Yeah. Yeah. That's used. I mean, it doesn't. That's what's next for ARM. It definitely. I mean, even if everybody else stopped using them, I mean, they would still have a customer in Apple. Apple has put all of their cards into ARM. Into Everything the, yeah, is, sure. is going on that. And I don't think Android's going to go to a different platform. No, if you no, so, if you list off the names that we're, we're talking about, yeah. Apple and Samsung and Google and Microsoft and NVIDIA. I mean, and, and that's just like that list. Truly all the major goes players. On, yeah. And all the way down into the mid tier. And the like, that's, it is so pervasive and so ubiquitous. Um, for me, then it comes to, well, I think it's just so interesting because they're not making the chips. So like, again, my dire need for competition isn't so directly impacted here, but still I would right. love to see it's still arm disrupting Intel and AMD mm-hmm. is a good thing. But then I started immediately then fast forwarding into, okay, so where's the next disruption? Maybe it's Intel or AMD coming full circle. And I mean, we look at things like the most recent generation, the 12th gen Intel chips, what do you know? They're finally coming to the plate with performance cores and efficiency cores. Right. That's They're doing been the same ARM's thing. party trick yeah. now for how many generations. So again, the, the competition space continues to be live and well. It's just right now it's competition between the same three big players. Is there, it's kind of like, you know, I'm going to try not to get going on the, you know, us cell phone, you know, cellular industry, <laughs> but you know, uh-huh. is, is three players enough to maintain competition in a marketplace? I'd venture to say no, at least not when extrapolated out to the long term. but at least here sure. and now arm is still plowing forward and driving the other big names that we know forward with their respective platforms, like the M series, like the A series, like, you know, like all these other chips that we, that we do use every day that definitely the average consumer. And I also want to point out the average consumer also doesn't know if they have an Intel chip or an AMD chip or sure. you know, we're, as long we're as they turn their computer on and it works, they don't care. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But even more so than that, most people have opened up their new HP laptop and seen the Intel sticker on it. Sure. Here's that recognition. Very few people have been like, oh yeah, I have an ARM chip. They just, right. they, they just 
simply don't. Yeah, I mean, they look at that Intel Inside sticker. They don't. They don't know what kind of silicon that's based on. It's just the name of whatever's in their computer. Yeah. Yep. So fascinating stuff. Uh, so again, the, I think the answer to what's next for ARM is go pull up the slide deck for almost every other company you've heard, you've heard of future products. And that in a big way is going to answer your question of what's next yeah. for ARM. I, I think, think other than an, an IPO, it sounds like in the next 12 months. Yeah. I think, you know, basically what's next for ARM is they're not going anywhere anytime soon. Oh, no. Fair, fair point. That's most At its most basic, I think you're absolutely right. So... Well, awesome, guys. Thank you, as always. Thank you to everyone out there for uh, sticking around with us. Catch us next week. And uh, on that bombshell, we'll catch you next time. Later. Later. Later.